Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. I don't know about you, but I love to hear about people who pursue their dreams. I love those stories. The path to get there, the path to realize your dream may not always be smooth. And in fact, that makes for a much more interesting story. And it may not be what you think, but when someone sets their eye on a prize and achieves it, I'm always very happy to sit down and hear that story. And perhaps the story we have all heard versions of is one of making it in the movies. Maybe you're watching Hollywood on Netflix right now, or you've heard the many stories about actors or actresses who were waiting tables in Hollywood one minute, then walking the red carpet of the movie premiere, they were the star of the next. They are wonderful stories and always bring a tear to my eye. I don't know why, but they do. It's a really seductive story, right? It's really seductive to hear those tales. And the idea of making it in the movies is one that I thought looked a certain way. And obviously there are lots of different types of movies, but my friend Duncan has made a movie. He's a writer and I think he co-produced his film, but he wrote it and he's written another and is in the process of making that too. His independent film, My Feral Heart, which came out in 2016, was nominated for three British Independent Film Awards and has received huge acclaim and support from film critics, including Mark Kermode, who is perhaps my favorite film critic of all time. He's amazing. On also James King, special mention. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has actually been described as, where it has a hugely positive rating, I hasten to add, it's been described as a beautifully realised, understated character study bolstered by strong performances, distinctive cinematography, and a deeply evocative score. Now, Duncan was not a full time writer when he wrote My Feral Heart. He was not connected in the traditional sense of the word. And he didn't buy his way into the film industry. All of those things you might think have to happen in order for you to be able to make a movie. None of that was really present. In fact, Duncan was working as a counsellor when he wrote his first film. 
But what does it take to make a movie? How do you meet film producers? Is it all networking and this and that and the other? And how do you hire actors? How do you realize a dream like this? And I've said this about previous conversations with my guests, particularly my friends in the beauty industry who have created huge, huge brands, that there's no blueprint for success. There is no well-trodden path that guarantees if you follow that path, that you'll be one of the people who makes it. So what does it take? In this conversation, Duncan tells me his story from scuppered dreams as a professional sportsman, recalibrating and deciding to pursue a passion whilst also focusing on a career that would, let's face it, just be real here, pay the bills, and how over time he came closer and closer and then eventually realised his dream of making a movie. These kinds of stories are my jam and I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation because here he is, Duncan Paveling on The Emma Gunn Show. Duncan Paveling, it is so nice to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be asked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think back to why I started the Emma Gunn show, and much of it was about um finding inspiration in the stories of people behind brands, because as you know, my background is as a beauty journalist. Mm. And as the show has grown, it was four a couple of weeks ago. It was, it's, it's really grown and expanded, but it's never really lost that seed of inspiring stories from inspirational people. And I think your story is wonderful because you are someone who has turned a passion for film into your job. And I think a lot of people would probably say they feel passionate about films. Mm -hmm. My passion for the Marvel movies, for example, I think should get me into all of the Marvel after parties with the entire <laughs> cast and crew. Apparently it doesn't work like that. And a but plus you, one. Um, yeah, and a plus yeah. one, it would be you. <laughs> but um, you have, I think it's extraordinary. So for the context of, and we'll tell the entire story, mm -hmm. but in your 30s, you wrote a film that went mm -hmm. on to a win, win awards. And mm -hmm. that was, I guess the beginning of you starting a, pro a proper, in inverted commas, film career. Yeah. But the journey has not been, you were some wonderkind who did film studies at school and it was always going to be your destiny. Like for mm -hmm. a long time, it was something, did you feel it was inaccessible? Um, I, think, I think from a young age, it's something that I always had an interest in. And, you know, I think back to the, the first VHS that I watched was Indiana Jones, like, and <laughs> just my best friend at school, we were about six years old or whatever it was, and his dad worked for Radio Rentals and he, he had a video player and we watched it and I just remember just, like, it was amazing and then started watching movies and I, I, I was quite, I'd say in some sense, an introverted sort of kid and would, would spend a lot of time growing up watching movies. And I think always had a love and an interest for it. It didn't really, until my mid-teens, kind of consider that you could actually do something around that. Um, and I don't think that even at school I, I felt that it was achievable because I wasn't academic. I wasn't necessarily like I mean I loved English I loved stories and storytelling but I couldn't like well I found it really difficult at the time to kind of get those ideas out so yeah I think definitely at the time it felt inaccessible mm -hmm. um, and 
And it's a passion as well. I think you can say, it's interesting you said that, you know, I always had an interest in it. But an interest doesn't mean you can then go on and make a career out of it. Like I have an interest in being an actress. I'm not going to go and do it. <laughs> like I never did. So, but but what I mean is I think is there's a real a really interesting moment when mm-hmm. an interest becomes something mm-hmm. more. And I wonder whether it's because it defines the person in a way that's just more than a hobby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think there were there was sort of I think there were kind of like several little kind of moments as opposed to one big one. I think that obviously the probably the biggest one was was when we finally got you know when we finally made the decision to to to, to make my for a heart. But I think before that there were lots of little kind of steps and in between my those steps kind of being, my feral heart being the movie that went on to win awards and you know huge yeah, amount of acclaim. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean it, I mean it's still kind of. Yeah, I mean, it still feels quite dreamlike in some ways, you know, when we think about kind of where it ended up and how it was received. Um, but I think there was a belief from the start of it um, when we got into it that it would find an audience. I don't, I, I don't know whether we. I think you, you always hope that it would have the kind of response that it did. But in terms of believing in the project, believing what you're doing was the most important thing. Um, and working with people that had a similar kind of belief or a similar kind of place in in their time was was really really important. But I think before then it was it was little sort of sort of uh, steps I suppose. I mean for a long time as a kid I was very sporty. I played a lot of cricket. I played kind of uh, representative cricket from the age of fourteen to twenty six, like for for different counties. And when I was younger I thought that would be my path. That was the thing I thought I was going to do. And about 1819 um i had the opportunity to to i came very close to earning a contract at, at derbyshire county cricket club oh, wow. and there the coach that had kind of invited me up and wanted me to be part of his plans um between the winter and the summer when the seat he got the sack <laughs> uh, and so my kind of dreams of that went with him uh, they had a change of personnel and and they had different ideas and, and it didn't fit. And I think probably that's when, even though I played representative cricket for another sort of five or six years, it wasn't with the same kind of mindset. It, I, I felt that that was probably when that shifted. And that was when I started to think about sort of, you know, uh, film and, and, and such. But initially I was working in kind of like the job, I was working in care and stuff around that time um uh, but also my i mean my very first job i was very fortunate in the sense that through my studies um because i did eventually find my way i did did a levels i did i mean i I struggled through gcse english but i did a level gcse's um so a levels english rather (laughs) and um and media and that's when i started this is great i can this is this is you know i can see this happening and I fortunately got to know um, the composer Barrington Feelong through um, our local cricket club that I played for, and he lived down the road. And I, you know, it just was one of those things. Um, and I got to meet him, got to know him, and eventually, he, before I left college, he offered me a job. I, I knew nothing about music at the time. Um, I knew about film music and knew about film and TV, but. So I went to work for him and worked for him for a couple of years and it was the most amazing experience. I got to see filmmaking TV from another point of view. Wow. But 
after that, I was still kind of, I was still in my 20s and I still had this thing of playing cricket. So I went to Australia and played cricket for sort of uh, about a season and a half. So I had like five seasons effectively in a row, sort of summer here, summer Australia. Um, and then it was like that, it was almost like that was when I realised that that wasn't how my life was going to be. <laughs> um, it wasn't going to be sport. And then I was kind of like, how do I get into film? I didn't know. So, you know, I'd left the kind of the industry slightly with, with having worked with Barrington for that time. And then ended up, I well, I, I took some work in care. So I started doing work with young people with learning difficulties and special needs. Um, and, and just started to sort of work in that sort of field for a few years and then went back to London to work in film for a bit and then came out of it again. <laughs> it's, it was, you know, I had this experience of kind of flitting between the, these two things and to the point, I think I ended up working for a company called Magnet Films, which was at the time was was started by Sir David Frost. And I had this sort of 18 month period there and I thought that was going to be it. I thought, this is it. This is This is when it's all going to happen. And it didn't quite work out that way for various reasons. And I, I left, not disillusioned, but I learned a hell of a lot in that time. But it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't go, I suppose, to plan. I suppose it didn't, it didn't take me to where I thought it was going to do. But ultimately, it did, <laughs> because what I learned well, in that time was 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 far far more important than what I thought. Well, what what was the key learning then from that experience? I think I think the thing I realised at that point was well, first and foremost, I wanted to write. Secondly, is um, how I would want to work and how I this kind of relationships I'd want to build with people, um, you know, and also in terms of timing, I, I made a very clear decision around that time. I was about mid twenties that it's a precarious industry, and you've got to you know, so much of it will come from you and your own endeavour, your own hard work, your own belief. And I think at that point I came out of it thinking, okay, what am I also passionate about? What do I also love? Um, what do I think I'll be good at? <laughs> you know, what can I have? What skill can I have for the rest of my life that allows me to write, allows me to develop this and, and follow a dream? Even if it's five years off, 10 years off, 20 years off, it doesn't matter because... Uh, you know, I believe that it's worth investing in, and um, so I I trained as a as a counselor and therapist, and that was like my mid twenties. Well, I, well, just I was about twenty twenty four, I think, um, and within a few years, I'd qualified. Um, I was working about three different jobs at the time in care um, alongside it, so I was doing um, kind of work in a school as, as you know, sort of uh, supporting uh, families. And young people um i was doing uh care work outside of that um so visiting people's homes and doing care work one-to-one and um i was doing sessional work for social services taking young people to visit uh their families who were in foster care and it was an amazing experience and i got to meet incredible people and it just really broadened my my thought process i suppose and 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 got an incredible insight into the lives of others and and how similar we are as opposed to how different we are i think mm. and i think the film industry having had 
an experience that taught me a lot in that those mid twenties. It was very different to the experience I had with with working with Barrington. Working with Barrington was was just the most wonderful experience. And and yeah, um, you know, it's it's obviously he sadly passed away only just last year, and um, you know he, he has been a dear friend in all those years for twenty plus years. Um, and I think that experience was was so much of what I took into the experience when we got to make Feral was about how you engage with people, how you treat people, no matter whether they're um, a runner to the director, to an actor, to to the sound person. Uh, you know, whoever it is, everyone deserves to be treated equally and, and fairly and honestly and respectfully. Um, and that's what I learned in the early experience. But and then coupled with the care work, I think, again, it, it just allows you to feel human. I think that's the thing. I think a lot of the industry, the film industry, can feel inaccessible, can feel elite, can feel um, you have to tiptoe around it, maybe. And watch what you say and do and, and not be yourself and try and be something you're not. And actually, I think there's a massive shift in, in, in how the industry is going um, uh, you know, we're not there yet, but I think there's a lot of change, and I think a lot of people are starting to look at things differently and starting to say, "Well, we we can be different. We can be independent. We can have our families around us on set. We, we there is you know a push for more uh, you know, sort of gen, gender equality. There is you know um, you know a much sort of more balanced industry in terms of the way we think and the way we behave." And there's been massive, massively significant kind of shifts in that. But we've got a long way to go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you mentioned one of the words you used there was the film industry has this perception of being precarious. And I think mm. you wouldn't have had to have done any research into mm. movies in terms of the business side of it. I think everybody would understand that it's hard to get into movies. I think, mm-hmm. I think you could stop 100 people on the street and say, how easy do you think it is to get into movies? And they'd all go, oh, it's quite hard, isn't it? And you mentioned precarious, but yeah. you've, But once you're in it is, it, is it like that? I mean, you've said that it's changing for the better, but yeah. when you sort of get beyond the velvet rope, as it were, and you start working within it, is it just like any other industry? I think, um, I think the thing I always stand by is, um, whatever industry you work in, there will be people you will gravitate towards um, and connect with and others that you don't. And that's the same for any sector. Mm-hmm. And I think that the thing that I, going into it, I'm, I maintain and, and will con- hopefully continue to maintain um, is to be yourself and, and, and not and not attempt to wear a mask in any way and, and certainly kind of... Um, be genuine and I think you will attract people who are similar minded because I think that there are people out there who would generally generally care about the industry, care about each other, will support each other. I think there is maybe a slight difference maybe in independent film to maybe, you know, the blockbusters. Yeah, they're they're different machines and, and there's nothing mm-hmm. to say that they're not both enjoyable and they're not both um wonderful environments to be in. I think you again you will have positive and negative in both. Um, but I think, yeah, I still think I'm right. At the, I mean, we are, we're, we're at the early stages, really. I mean, we're going back to going to our next project, you know, our next mm-hmm. shoot, our next project, or we're due to shoot our next projects in September. That looks likely to be 
sometime next year now, unfortunately, mm-hmm. with everything that's going on, but understandably. Um, I, don't, I mean, if, I think I, I think the key thing is I think you will always find people who are like-minded if you are honest and mm-hmm. genuine. I think that's the key thing. Um, and reminder that everybody was just like you one at one point. There was yeah. a point where things maybe became a little bit more accessible or a little bit easier. Um, I think in this industry now, or I think at this time in our lives, I think in terms of getting films made, I think there are opportunities to do things, obviously on a very small scale, easier. You know, people can shoot stuff as they've proved on their mobile phones and things like that. The biggest issue is getting them out there. You know, mm. getting seen. That is the biggest thing, and that's one of the biggest challenges that we 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 encountered with Feral was was actually getting it out there and getting it seen because because we had done it. We almost it almost worked against us at one point the way we did it. Um, eventually, it worked with us, <laughs> but it's that thing of when you work completely out of the system without any sort of support from established kind of. Um, a company or you know kind of backer and it's purely independent to a degree you know it, it was it was difficult then to kind of for people to to let you know to, to take hold of it because they didn't mm. have an investment from it from the start so um i think yeah getting it out there is is, is actually more of the more of the issue than getting it made Let's take a few steps back because you and I mm. both have a similar experience with school in that we probably weren't the ones who Mm-hmm. really got what they were trying to get out of us and so I definitely underperformed was very mm-hmm. creative but just didn't have an outlet and you you said something similar earlier about perhaps not not yeah. acing things yeah. but then you had this uh you decided you wanted to write mm. and I had a similar experience but I thought but I don't have a track record I don't have a GCSE that proves this I don't yeah. have an A-level that backs up that I have this skill so what? So how did you sort of funnel it down to, I want to write with that mm-hmm. in the back of your mind? And then how did you grow in confidence to be able to put pen to paper? Yeah, but I, I think I've, I've written for, I've always been writing for like, since I was a teenager, really, I suppose, probably certainly like mid-teens, I've always written in some way, shape or form. Um but yeah, as I say, my bless my English. My English teacher was lovely at school, but she, you know, she'd always say, "Oh, you know, if only he could, if only he could." Um, oh, no. And and it was always that thing of like, and it was a block. And I don't feel, I don't feel, and I think this is still the case in some educational settings that that an alternative way of learning is there for some people. And I clearly didn't learn the traditional way, which mm-hmm. I appreciate fits, you know, probably eighty percent or maybe slightly less but it's a good percentage of people so if somebody got hold of me then and said how about trying this way which is what happened when I went to do A levels I took classics on a whim and I had the most incredible classics tutor I didn't know anything about what it was I just sounded interesting on the day I had a subject I had to choose so I just chose it and I had a teacher a guy called Mick who was just incredible um he, the only way to describe him, he was kind of like uh, Robin Williams's character in Dead Poets Society. He had that kind of rapport with his students. People would, uh, you know, he'd hang off every word. And I think in terms of film as well, at that point, he would come in and talk about film and he would talk about stuff he'd seen. And 
I'd be like, wow, this is... And everyone else would like, switch off, I think, at some point, because it was film, it wasn't classics. And then he'd turn it around and start to say, yeah, because this is all about this, you know, classic, you know, mythology. That is, right. They've taken that story and shifted it into... This. But he would have us take a chapter, go off in groups, and then come back and reenact it in any way we wanted. Comedy, drama, you know, whatever, silent, you know. And so we'd, we'd have an experience of it. He'd have us outside with rulers and stuff and, and tops of desks kind of reenacting battles. So you, <laughs> you physically learned it. And you, I still remember those things to, to this day. And that's like nearly 25 years ago. Um, and he was someone that really kind of allowed me to think or believe that things could be different, that I can learn and I can learn in a different way. And I started to write more then. Um, I started to look at different films and, and different, you know, different types of filmmaking um but i think the key the real key thing in terms of the belief when i decided to i did a bit of soul searching when i came back from australia sort of in my early 20s and i had a couple of years where things didn't quite work out for me out there that you know in the way i'd have hoped came back and sort of just spent some time just working on myself i did a lot of kind of um i, I don't know yeah soul searching is probably the best way i, I mm. class myself as more of a spiritual person than anything else and um read some life-changing books like you know they're not again not that i'm a religious but but their series conversations with god which were amazing and uh, jonathan livingston seagull which is incredible and i over these books kind of changed my life the music i listened to changed me you know music of tom waits nick cave you know, neil young those kind of that time i just they're great storytellers and and that really helped and um and then I made the decision to to train as a counsellor, and that was that was a key thing because I found a way of working and studying, and all of a sudden I was getting essays back and journals back, and they were like top marks, and they I just mm-hmm. ate them, and I was like in my mid twenties, and I was like I'd never had that experience, uh, maybe a little bit when I was doing some media at college because it was something I was really passionate about. And I could I could be practical about it, but from an academic, classic academic point of view, whenever I submitted anything before, uh, you know, it would be like, you know, it would be thrown back at me. Yeah, but it wasn't the case. I just found a way of being creative with with the truth. Um, that sounds wrong to say creative <laughs> with the truth, <laughs> um, but but it was about you know a large part of your training when you when you're when you're counselling is um is part of that self-discovery and kind of being mm. very very kind of comfortable with yourself and sure of yourself in a positive way and 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 not allowing the things and your, your experiences to influence your work with others in a negative way and I'd done a lot of that work before I got to that point so actually when it came to that I, I could just focus on my explanation of that or my experience of that and and I just found a way of I suppose communicating myself to others better and I was able to believe in myself a bit more through that and then I suppose to some degree getting positivity back and saying this is good this is this is different but it's great you know was was lovely to hear because so often I'd heard in younger years is there's potential or it's different but it it doesn't fit and I'm just like uh, you know different different can be wonderful and I think that's the thing is that so often we we miss that you Mm -hmm. know and when we look at 
people who change things in the world throughout history and even now, they're usually people who do something different. And something I often say to particularly young people when they're, uh, you know, in, in a counselling setting, they often talk about, you know, how they feel different and um, the, the difficulty they find in being different at a young age. And I, and I might ask them who inspires them, you know, whether it's someone now or in the past, whether it's uh, some, you know, a musician or, you know, or an actor or, you know, whoever it might be. And often they'll list off a... Uh, a, a whole, you know, well, give me a huge list of people, and it will be people who are different, people who are original, people who probably went through similar things to them. And then I say, okay, so what's what is it you like about them? And they'll always say, or so often say, because they're different, because they're unique. Because I say, okay, you know, and as a saying, you can see that okay, so it's okay to be that, and maybe this is the point. This is kind of like when the shell kind of cracks, and I can. Mm. I can I can be something else. I can be the thing I want to be because I think for so long we're governed by our experiences and the people around us and our, the thumbprints of everybody else in our early life are on us. And mm. we get to a point in our mid-teens where we start to challenge that and the cracks start to appear and we see people as human beings and it allows us to to start to say, well, it's okay for me to be different. It's okay for me to remould and put my own stamp on things and go my own way and that's tough for most teenagers and I actually feel for most I feel for teenagers more now than when I was a teenager because so I think it's I think, I think there's more challenges in their way these days mm. agreed yeah. now uh, you so you trained as a counsellor still wanting to write still wanting mm-hmm. I guess at some point to get into film in some way mm-hmm. but obviously counselling is a full-time job and is a vocation and a career so was it always on was it always in your mind that at some point the balance was going to shift and it would be a hundred percent counseling, zero percent film, ninety-nine percent counseling, one percent <laughs> film. And then just yeah. over time that would begin to get even and then film would then be the thing that was dominant. Yeah, I, I think that was always the I think from from that point when I left the industry in sort of you know, sort of early to mid-twenties and I decided to train as counsel, it was a very clear decision then initially I'm going to have to invest in I'm going to have to find, have a job that pays the bills and I'm going to have to invest in this skill it was something I was passionate about and it's something I will always have and I will build a career a practice out of that initially it was working in schools and you know once I'd finished training I was then able to have the time to write more so the idea was I had sort of a day job and I would then, and I started to build a private practice. I've, I've been counselling now for 15 years and for 10 years of that, I've had my own private practice. I started with one client and, you know, and that built and built and built. And the more that built, then I could step away from the day job. So that went from five days a week to four days a week to three days a week. And eventually that came to no days a week and just doing private practice and then working on the film side of things and the writing full-time and the counselling being part-time. So, And the intention was always to get to a point where maybe I'm running a practice and I could just do some voluntary work. I can just provide a few hours a week counselling to people who can't afford it or, you know, to, to a voluntary organisation. Um, and, and that is still the plan and very close to it. Um, mm. You know, so that was always the way. So there was a, a gradual thing. It wasn't, 
it wasn't overnight and it wasn't there wasn't a clear point where it significantly changed um it was a gradual thing and i think it was just believing that that was how it could be done um it was harder at the beginning um because you're doing different jobs and you're training um and did you ever you lose sight was it did you ever think gosh it's been a month and i haven't yeah. written such and such <laughs> do you know what i mean because because you're taking on you you had a lot on mm-hmm. your plate and there but there was always room for everything and i'm just wondering if at any point the passion because when the passion doesn't pay the bills and when the passion doesn't really can't be presented to somebody in a certain way you know you can't Mm. show anything tangible for it Mm. I wonder whether it can sometimes did it ever feel like a struggle to keep it active it's um it's weird you say about that you know the passion doesn't pay the bills for me the passion is the bills it's almost like (laughs) they're the thing that that kind of keep you going it's like uh, I I don't know I think I think probably yeah. I mean, there probably were times when you think, why, 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 why am I knackered all the time? Mm-hmm. And you just, you know, you just like I'm, I'm shattered, and um, you know, life is is happening, you know, and 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 I'm. But again, it comes down to that belief. I think, I think you know, if you don't believe there's an end result, then there is no point in doing it. Um, you know. But I always believed there would be an end result. I'd always mm-hmm. believe. I, I, I have to admit, I think I went from. I was always, again, looking back at those school reports I was digging out recently. <laughs> um, <laughs> where, you know, we were about to move and was going through some old things, and they were saying the same thing. Oh, you know, he's a bit of a dreamer, and you know, he's, you know, if he can, he can put his ideas into practice and all this kind of thing. And I think that was a large part of it, and it wasn't because I was unable. I think it was because I just didn't have the belief uh, in myself at the time. Um, I've always had a wonderfully supportive family and and friendship group, and they all believed in me, but I didn't believe in me, you know. And that was the biggest thing. Like the moment I believed in myself, which was probably in in my mid twenties, things changed for me in every area of my life. Everything I set out to achieve in that time, from that point, I've achieved every single thing that I've 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 said I want to do this or I'm not actually not I'm going to I'm going to do this it's not even I want I'm going to do this I've done uh, from making a movie to to uh, building a private practice to uh, running a marathon to yeah you know having a family uh, you know all these kind of things I you know there, there are things that say I'm, I'm going to do this sometimes they've taken a little longer than I'd hoped for various reasons and sometimes that's unavoidable that's that is the way life throws things at you but certainly chosen not to put any more obstacles in my way um the biggest oh, that's an interesting way of describing it i think to be honest more often than not we tend to put we tend to put most of the obstacles in our way you know life will throw enough at us as mm. it is you know life as we're learning at the moment with all that's going on um you know the life like there are forces of nature that, that are out of our control the one thing I always think about is the one thing we always have control over is how we react. Mm. You know, there's no way. I mean, if we think of, in the simplest terms, we look out the window and it's pouring with rain, but we're wearing shorts and a T-shirt. Do we not go out? Well, of course we do. We just change and we go. We adapt. Mm. We're not going to stop it raining just because we're wearing shorts and a T-shirt. Yeah. So I think it's really important that sometimes we we learn to adapt and we learn to react and, and we don't put any more obstacles in our way than than will always 
be there. There will always be things that will challenge us because there's one certainty in life is that we are going to have different forms of loss. There are going to be times in life where things aren't going to go maybe to plan and aren't work out the way we, we hope, but it takes us in a different direction and maybe we'll learn something else about ourselves. And I look back at the meandering I've done and there's definitely been a lot of meandering <laughs> over the years, but I don't look back and regret anything, not a single thing because Go on. I was going to say, oh, no, do you, is, that, is that because even when you're meandering, you're not mm. staying in one place, one foot is still going in front of the other, which means that it was part of the journey to where you are now. Absolutely. And, and I think, to be honest with you, actually, meandering may may not do do that journey justice in a sense, because meandering almost sounds negative, doesn't it? Um, uh, meandering sounds like aimlessly meandering around. <laughs> Um, I used to do that in my teens, definitely to avoid <laughs> things. I think I used to, I used to I, lasting memories and people, all my school friends say this. I always used to be the one at the back of the class that everyone was waiting for as I dithered, trying to <laughs> gather everything, and I, you know, was disorganised and stuff. And quite the opposite now. I'm super organised. I've learned a way to adapt, I suppose. But I think um, I, I'm a firm believer in process. Um, everything, every. I suppose there is always an end goal to a process, but I've always found personally that actually the achievement is not the end goal. The end, when I get to that point, to that end point, or whatever that chapter is, whatever that, um, that, that, that thing is, the process has been the thing I've been most proud of or, 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 or valued most. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, so about, you know, is a good example. I, I you know, I, I was talking to someone the other day about this and said it's lovely to sort of pull out the the finishers medal and go wow I did that because it was only I think it was I did it was three it was yesterday three years ago yesterday I did my first one and I you know, on social media it pops up and reminds you and I was like wow it's amazing but actually the thing I valued most was the training four and a half months of training and, and remembering the process and remembering that first run and it was like two or three miles or something or, you know, and I was thinking, you know, I had thoughts of, wow, two or three miles, how am I going to do 26? And at that point, I straight away told myself, you're not running that yet. Just run this mm-hmm. one, you know, run, run, run this mile. And life is like that. I, I often talk to people about um, that lovely phrase of if you look after the pennies, the pounds will look after themselves. Mm-hmm. And I say to people, you know, think about, your moments in life or days in your life being the pennies look after today and you know if you look after then tomorrow and the next you'll have a great week um you'll have a good month you'll have a good year you know there will be ups and downs but on uh, overall if you look after today and cherish it and and look after yourself and the people around you then that's how we build the weeks and that's how we build the months and the years and that's mm. how we build a lifetime and that's kind of I think how I've attempted to approach things in every sense of my life is that we have to do the sometimes the things that we don't want to do the build those foundations the boring stuff like you know if you are building a house or decorating a house you know there's no point in kind of wallpaper or paint you know a wall that's crumbling you know get it plastered (laughs) let it dry be patient invest in the process because you'll you'll get to that point when you paint it when you wallpaper it and you 
you're putting furniture in and you're enjoying it. You're having people over. But you'll probably look back and go, wow, haven't we worked hard for this? Or, you know, remember when? And they're the things that I, I, I find are the greater achievements is the yeah. process as opposed to the actual the end goal. Yeah, I, I often think uh, if something's hard work, I have that moment of feeling frustrated or like, oh, I just wish this was easy. And then I always remind myself, you don't wish this was easy. Mm-hmm. Because if if it's worth having, if it's worth getting to, Absolutely. whether that's spending three years hounding someone to be a guest on the <laughs> podcast or whatever, I know that then then it will be worth it in the end. Mm. Um, can we go back and unpick something you said? And I, I'm yeah. guessing there's not going to be a magic <laughs> bullet. Okay. But you said in your mid-20s, mm-hmm. you something shifted. Mm. And that was when you understood how to or began to believe in yourself. Yeah. And I think if I could write. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new custom spray five in one gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The formula for that, and share it with my mm-hmm. listeners, I would be so happy. Mm-hmm. And I would love to know the formula. If you were to look back with a critical mind on mm-hmm. the what made up the component parts of you being able to believe in yourself, not doubt yourself, not letting other people's opinions mm-hmm. Uh, knock that because that's a lot of what it comes down to certainly with me and I know a lot Mm -hmm. of listeners will probably be nodding their heads what was it for you that allowed you to believe in yourself I think I think there was probably a number of things I mean the thing that that, that immediately spring to mind I think first and foremost is is exactly what you just picked up on is about other people's opinions people will always have opinions um, and it's unrealistic for us to ever believe I think that universally there will be one singular opinion about any one thing so you know it's about whether we focus on I mean again you know if we had a conversation with 10 people we might agree with nine of them but that one person we don't Mm -hmm. sometimes there is a tendency for us to focus on that on the negative and not not go with the majority it doesn't mean we ignore it I, I would encourage people to listen to everything absorb everything that you know, in, in terms of opinions, because we can always dismiss them. We don't have to believe them, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, we don't have to invite them in. It's like you know, someone someone's negative opinion can be banging at the door, but we can keep it locked. And I think that, you know, we don't have to open our door to everything and everyone. And I think that that was a key part is that people are going to have opinions, and people are going to like things, and people are going to hate things, um, you know. I, I always generally I'd, I'd like to go into things hoping I'll love it and if I don't that's you know 
fair enough. I'll move on to the next thing. But mm-hmm. I think that's a, that was a big part of it, is not being hurt by the things that people said. And, and I, I think probably I always wore my – I mean, that's the one thing my, my parents always instilled in me is be honest, be truthful, be yourself. And I think – that's not always easy when you're growing up, when you're a teenager. Mm. And I always wore my heart on my sleeve, always. And and I always, I generally stood up for other people more than I stood up for myself. And I think I got to a point where I found a better balance of that, that I would stick up for myself a little bit more, um, as well as others. But I certainly realised that it's okay to wear your heart on your sleeve and actually the scars that you get from doing that um, only allow you to make better decisions in the future it doesn't mean you don't wear your heart on your sleeve it doesn't mean you stop being who you are you just mm. become hopefully a better person you know or not be- or not a better but a, a, a better version of yourself um mm. because of it um if we only have things work out for us what happens when something does happen that's challenging um you know we as is, we touched upon earlier you know we, things are, life is going to throw stuff at you no matter what you do no matter how hard you would try and avoid it um you know duck and dive things will find you so it's important just to learn how we react and again i think learning not to be hurt by other people and what they say allow them to have their opinion and actually sometimes the things that we find hurtful are worth listening to because sometimes there's truth in them and i think it's really important that we don't dismiss that and i think it's really important that and certainly from my point of view i there are things that have been hurtful to me because they're not true. Right. And there are sometimes things that have been hurtful because I know deep down that they've touched upon something <laughs> that, that that is absolutely true and yeah. it's really important that I, I listen to it. And I make the choice. I don't change because they've told me to or because they think I'm doing something wrong. But I change because I want to because I think that that will benefit benefit me. Um, and and I think that's a, that's been a, a, a key part, I think. Um, Fear is another. Like, I, I, generally, the thing that holds people back from achieving, and achievement isn't financial. Achievement is in so many different forms. Um, you know, we achieve on a daily basis, but we don't always recognise it. And mm. I think that's really important. With some, you know, sometimes for some people, being able to in difficult times, sometimes being able to get up, have a shower. And get out the door to go to the shops is an, is an achievement, and it's and it's and it's important that they acknowledge that. I don't think we should be comparing ourselves to people. I think that's a problem we fall down a lot in. Mm-hmm. We compare ourselves to others. You might as well. Comp- I mean, why would we compare an apple to an orange? Like they're just completely different things. They taste different. They look different. You know, you can eat one with the skin on. You have to peel the other. I mean, it's just like it doesn't make any sense. And that's what we're like as individuals. We might have similarities, and we're, you know, there are core things that are, are you know are similar about us but we are all different mm. and it's so important the moment we start to compare each self to others we're only ever going to lose you know so just be the best version of yourself and you know and, and fear holds so many of us back from doing things and i think what's so key is sometimes we have to you know despite how we're feeling despite how we're thinking we have to do and I think that so much of the things that I, I class as a personal achievement, no matter how big or small they might seem to other people, um, it's been because I've done, even though I've been anxious about it, nervous about mm. it, 
I thought, yeah, this could come back to bite me or this might not work out or people might not like it, but do I like it, you know? And is it worth that risk? And if I never do it, I'll never know. Mm, It's good advice. It's good advice. And actually, I had uh, Mandy Saligari on this podcast and also Jeff Thompson, fellow filmmaker, Mm -hmm. uh, recently. And neither of them said it on tape, I don't think. It was when we were chatting before and up, before or after. But we were talking about trigger culture and Mm -hmm. about people say, like, it's very common now to hear people say, I was triggered by that or I'm very triggered by this and it set off my anxiety. And uh, both of them said a version of if something triggers you, unpick it don't walk away from it don't tell someone to stop doing it Mm -hmm. face it head on unpick it figure out why it triggers you and take the power away yeah absolutely and I think that's that that is so so key and I think we it's very easy I mean I'm in in the counseling work that I do and what I've learned about myself is is how we how we label things and how we give words and things power Mm. we you know we you know, in, in the language we use, we reaffirm the negative beliefs we have so often, um, you know, and we can take one word and make it, we could catastrophize it. I mean, examples might be someone says, oh, that's a silly thing to say. Oh, I'm silly, am I? You know, that's a ridiculous mm-hmm. thing to say. Oh, I'm ridiculous. We, we kind of catastrophize these things and we make them so much bigger than they have to be. And, and, and also sometimes when people, we might discuss how we're, we're feeling and, and before we've even talked about the feeling that is clearly having an impact on us, we start to apologise for it. We say, oh, it's silly, oh, I shouldn't be feeling like this, or it's ridiculous to say this, but it's never ridiculous to acknowledge how you feel. If you don't acknowledge how you feel, you'll never get through it. If you, if you, if you constantly put that obstacle in your way of, of, of labelling it as ridiculous or silly or insignificant, then you're saying that your feelings are insignificant. You're saying that you are mm. insignificant and you're not. None of us are insignificant. You know, we're all unique and, and we all have something amazing about us. Um, you know, and sometimes people find that early on in life and sometimes people find that at the end of their life. Um, well, if someone's listening to this and they don't, they don't believe that right now, they don't believe that there's something special about them, what would you mm-hmm. say to the person listening who feels like that? One one of the things, I, I, I'm not a I'm not a huge advocate of the words right and wrong. Obviously, mm. we have we have <laughs> certain the, the law and, and rules. I'm not saying that there's not right and wrong in that sense, but in in a general sense, right and wrong. But there was a lovely phrase that somebody um, once once mentioned to me, which uses those phrases, and I, I love the sentiment in it. And, it, and I, I have to always check myself before I say it because I often get tongue tied and say it wrong. Um, but there's nothing that's wrong with us. That's what right with us can't fix. And whilst I say I don't believe in in necessary right or wrong, I, I believe that there's a best way of doing things. Mm. Um, but I would say to anybody is that you know we all have something, and we all have something, and 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 you know sometimes we don't discover that because we're so focused on the problem, we're so focused on the things that we can't do, um, and so often we miss the things that we can. And I think that for anyone that feels that. Feels that they have that lack of belief, or they don't feel that. I think again, I'd always encourage people to kind of just focus on each day is stripping away the things that we can't do. You know, every time we find ourselves saying, "Well, I can't do that," and "I can't do that," you know, there's loads of things I, 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 I'm not able to do at the moment. But that's partly because, you know, um, it's not that I can't do them. It's just that, you know, 
maybe I'm not built that way or not designed that. I mean, I can't have a baby. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's one definite thing I can't, you know, but, you know, but I'm not physically built to have one. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's not going to, you know, and it's, it, there are certain things that we, we say we can't do. And, and actually, so it's a word that I like to remove from people's vocabulary. It's okay to say, I won't do it, or I'm not ready to do it. Or, you know, I'm finding it difficult to do at the moment. But to say I can't do it is a massive obstacle that we just plonked, excuse me, we just plonked in front of us and said, you know, climb that wall, you know. Mm. And well, it's a dead end, that, isn't it? Well, it is. And I think that, you know, I think that's that's a big part of uh, sometimes listening to the language we use. We, we all have, I'm a firm believer in, in the work I do and, and, and just sort of personally as well that, to a degree, we're all kids in an adult's body, you know. The first sort of four or five of our years are so important in, in in the way we learn about the world. And I mentioned earlier about people's thumbprints. You know, we've got people's thumbprints all over us. And sometimes those are wonderful and, and positive and, and nurturing. And other times, maybe not. Um, sadly, in some situations, you know, that those can be extremely negative. And when we look back growing through the years, we might look back at photographs and we have other people's memories of them, you know. So we'll look at a photograph mm-hmm. and someone's describing, oh, that's the day you fell off your bike and this, this, this and this. Well, that, that's their interpretation. That might not be ours. So as we go through life, we start to kind of almost sieve out, you know, and filter out other people's things and start to think about what our interpretation of those things were, or our experiences were of those things. And... I think that those four or five years are so, so significant and we carry those with us into adulthood and sometimes they're really positive and sometimes they're maladaptive, things that we've learned and we've seen, we do just don't work in adult life and that's the turning point, that's the turning when we recognise that. The moment we recognise something's not working for us, we have a choice and that is the, the most powerful thing. At the moment, I think this is where... I think obviously in the current climate it's some choice has been taken away and rightly so and understandably so but but at the moment we still have choices every day we have a choice but under you know what we might consider more regular normal I, I don't usually use the word normal there'll be a new normal when we come out of this but under regular kind of circumstances we have a huge amount of choice mm. and the moment we recognize that then it's about the doing Doing in spite of the feeling, doing in spite of the thought, doing in spite of opinions, you know, because the moment we let those things, we invite those things in, we're putting more obstacles in our way, Mm. you know, and that could be as simple as getting up for a run in the morning, you know, we set our alarm, we get up, I can't find my shoes, oh, I didn't get my, oh, that's not clean. And before we know it, the half an hour we should have been running, we've been looking for the gear. We go, oh, it's too late now. I'll start tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas if we've got everything right, ready the night before, we just get up, we put in our gear on, and as we're having these sorts of, oh, it's early, I'm tired, we're walking out the door because we're dressed. And then we, once we started, we start to think differently, we start to feel mm-hmm. differently. And if we can do that consistently for a period of time, you know, I, I'd say to most people, 20, we often talk about the 21 days of change. If you do something consistently for three weeks, three to four weeks, you know, and and push through those thoughts and feelings and just do, you will notice a difference. Mm. You know, you you might 
even start to enjoy those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is really interesting because we've talked about the sort of things you have to unpick within yourself uh, mm. in order to get out of your own way, essentially, it's kind of breaking it down. But you're also very good at choosing and obviously have had great relationships. You mentioned Barrington earlier mm-hmm. with mentors. How, how important is it, do you think, to find a mentor, particularly with something like you're doing, which is a creative or seen as an industry that's quite difficult to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you think that even matters? But how how important is it to find a mentor, do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I th- well, it's interesting the word mentor. I mean, obviously, when we think of that, <laughs> maybe, I, I think of Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> <laughs> but when you think about, when you do think about mentors, um, in this, in the way we are now, and in, in, as, a, as a society, our, our mentors don't have to be someone we know necessarily. Um, I think when we look at a mentor, we're looking at um, uh, people who inspire us and 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 we learn from, and that can come from past, present, and and obviously there there will be people in the future that will influence us in different ways. Um, I, I I have been extremely fortunate. You know, I, I class myself extremely fortunate and and, and really honoured to have worked with Barrington at that stage of my life. It was the first job I ever had. It was built on a relationship that we built on something else, you know, through through our love of sport. Um, and he's family. He, he has always been family ever since. And, mm-hmm. we, you know, his family, I class as family. Um, um, I mean, his, his boys were probably uh, around, I'm guessing, I'm trying to work it back now because they'll kill me if I get their ages wrong. Um, <laughs> they, they were probably like six and eight, I think, at the time. And there were times when things, you know, th- you know, they'd be around, you know, more in the school holidays and stuff. And we'd be playing cricket in the garden or, <laughs> you know, doing these kind of things. And it felt like a family. And, and I, you know, he was so, I, I think, I, I'm mindful of not mentioning names. I will mention names in the positive sense because mm-hmm. um, I had the good fortune whilst we're working with Barrington that we had the, we were working on the film Hillary and Jackie which was about the life of Jacqueline Dupre the cellist um with Emily Watson and Rachel Griffiths and they ended up both Oscar nominated for, for that mm. beautiful film and I was fortunate that I sat next to Barrington through pretty much every note he wrote on that um wow. whilst Matt who was his kind of main kind of uh i was kind of there as a assistant to his assistant sort of thing <laughs> matt matt who's a, a, a wonderful composer in his own right now um and you know he's 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 uh doing some some great work he was in the other room kind of preparing all the music because we were quite tight to a deadline i sat with him during that process and but what i learned from that process was about process but i also learned that i saw the way Anand Tucker, the director managed people and dealt with people and to this day, um, I, you know, I, I hadn't actually sort of spoken to Anna for, for, for probably about a year or so. But I know that if I dropped him a message or emailed him or picked up a phone, he would be responsive. And the way he allowed me to feel when I was sort of 19, you know, years old, my first job, the way I felt around him was just remarkable. And the way I felt around Barrington was remarkable, but so respected and valued. And they were mentors. And I remember just before, um, it was about a week before we, we shot My Feral Heart, I I emailed uh, Anand 
and I just I just said look you know it's taken me this time to get to where I wanted to do I said but I always think back to my experience on Hillary and Jackie and I remember how I felt as part of a team a part of a crew and how you you treated me how you welcomed me and how warm you were I said if however this film turns out if at the end of it I believe that other people have had that experience then that's the greatest achievement and he was really sweet and humble he was like oh he's such a lovely man and he, he was just like oh the fact that you've thought that way of that experience means so much you know that people felt that way and I think people did it was a wonderful experience and I think that for me was mentoring directly you know um people you actually in a physical physical company mm. I think you can learn from people that don't do things the way you I mean I've certainly met and, and worked <laughs> with people that I would choose to work differently and that mm. has influenced the way things have been since um and and I made a very clear decision in my mid-20s I said and, and you know, I said this to friends and family I said I want to go back to this when I'm ready and I want to work with people that I care about and I trust and in Jane, obviously, he directed Jane Gold, who directed My Four Heart. She's you know, godmother to, to our daughter. Um, you know, she's like family. And there was an immediate connection when, um, you know, my through Dull Boy pictures, I've got two, two partners in, in, in Gareth and Gavin, who were the first people to invest in My Four Heart. And it was actually Gavin that, through a friend of his, uh, managed to get me and Jane in a room, um, and it was it sort of started with with his introduction through a mutual friend of theirs, um, and again, you know, it's, it was that thing of that, that respect, and 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 through that that grew, and and there were so many people that not just professionally, but since then have become really good friends through that experience, um, and I think indirectly, you know, your mentors are. I think the thing I learned, there's a lovely, there's a great thing in uh, Google. Google Hunting has always been a... a you love that really. Yeah, I did, for so many reasons. I think it came out at a time when I started to believe that this was possible. So the story of these two guys kind of believing in themselves and mm -hmm. going, we'd rather take less money and be in it because we believe in it. Um, and, and writing something that they could be in as well, which was you know, brilliant. And it's just a wonderful move. But for me, to this day, I still stand by this, and I'm yet to be proven. I've yet not proven different. I'm yet to see a different interpreter. I think Robin Williams's um, portrayal of a therapist in therapy is the most accurate I've ever seen on film or TV, because it's just so honest. It's not as clinical as sometimes people ex expect. Um, it is creative. It is about relationship. Regardless, you know, I, I, there's certain ways I don't work in counselling. I, you know, I tend to work in a more creative and a more relationship-based way. And he just nailed it because it is unconventional sometimes. You do have to think outside the box. You, it is about kind of connecting with a client in a way that um, that allows you to speak the same language. Language and 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 he did, does that brilliantly. And I think there's that lovely moment in 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 Google Hunting when Will is having an argument with this kind of like guy in a cafe who's trying to talk, talk him down a bit and he starts to recount all the stuff, you know, from this book and he goes, yeah, I read the same book and, 
yeah, you know, the, you know, see, the ironic thing is, you know, you spent you know thousands on an education. I I bought that book in for one dollar fifty or something in the local store, you know, and it's that thing of actually your mentors and your, um, you know, your inspiration can come from so many forms. And I think growing up, certainly watching movies and uh, re- not necessarily reading as much, but there's certain things I read that were influential, but music, music and movies have been massive for me mm. and storytellers. I mean, I just storytelling and, you know, there's so many filmmakers, but as I think I mentioned earlier, music-wise, you know, Tom Waits, Nick Cave, Neil Young, those types of storytellers, Joni Mitchell, you know, that you hear stories in them and they're honest and they're truthful and they're real. And those are the things that I think have been some of the best mentors, as well as the people physically and more directly. And there's so many people that you respect and admire and when you meet them, sometimes they're, they live up to that and sometimes they're very different to, you know, to that. But um, I think the thing that, you know, I, there are certain people that I've admired for many years and, you know, when you, we touched, I think we touched, uh, before we before we hit record, I think it was, you know, we talked a little bit about Mark Kermode. He's been someone I've listened to for years and I know we have a mutual kind of love of his, his MK3D show and, and that's how kind of we kind of uh film club yeah film club and uh and i you know what an incredibly kind generous man he is and Mm -hmm. um and and he was incredibly supportive of our film um and and continues to be to this day even though it's four years on um Mm -hmm. you know since it was it had its original release so i think you know listen to someone like that for years whose opinions you respect and think and then for them to be so kind about your own thing that was lovely (laughs) but you know but in some ways that that was that was an educator he the way he thinks about film um is very much the way i think about film i think you know i think that's why as as a as a a critic i find him so you know he's a good gauge um Mm -hmm. someone i've looked up to for many many years and you know, uh, you know. Again, so you can be influenced in many, many different ways. You know, uh, through through different material. There are people in my everyday life that inspire me, that mentor me. There are, you know, people at college. I mentioned the tutor earlier, but you know, he. I, I wrote a when uh, I started writing for a Film Stories magazine. Um, I, the opening piece I wrote was about him, because uh, he just was so inspiring and he and I think he was a massive turning point in my life to start believing that I could do things a different way it mm. wasn't the conventional way um and I, you know it was, it was sort of referencing him around Mr Holland's Opus uh, a mm. movie that I don't know whether people have seen or not but it's one of my favorite movies and it's a, a Richard Dreyfuss movie and it's just about a teacher who just puts his time into everybody else eventually mm-hmm. and finds a way that they can play there's a wonderful moment with him and alicia wet and she's struggling to play the clarinet and he says to her and she kind of wants to give up and he just stops her and he says you know tell me one thing you love about yourself and she says my hair my, my dad says i love my hair and he goes why and she says well because my dad says it's like the sunset and he just says to her play the sunset and he was just plays the clarinet beautifully, and that was that was my tutor. That was that was this kind of thing he would say and do, 
and and again he just recognized that it's not always about your you know your technical ability it's about your belief you know and your reason for doing things and mm-hmm. i think that's the thing is you never lose sight of the reason you're doing it and you invest in the process you will achieve it may sometimes surpass your expectations it may not sometimes but it doesn't mean it's not invaluable you know, it's not it doesn't mean it's uh, it's just not valuable you know firm believer that every experience we have is valuable there are things in life that i would never want other people to experience and i wouldn't want to experience myself but we do and once they've happened we have no control over it it's happened it's done it's part of us it's part of our dna what do we do do we dwell on it or do we let it or do we use it to help us move forward with Mm. with strength and and knowledge and i think that, that sometimes you know you know I think I, I look in terms of mistakes. People often use the word, oh, I made a mistake, I made a mistake. I think sometimes we're too quick to label it a mistake. Sometimes it's important to label things as an experience or think of them mm. as a, reframe them as a, an experience. Because for me, a mistake is when we do something and we realize it doesn't work for us and then we choose to do it again. That's a mistake. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know? But if we, if, if, we, if we have an experience, which is the first experience, and we go, ah, that, that didn't work out. And, I could have done it this way. Why didn't I do it this way? But it's okay. Next time I will. Mm. That, that's different. You know, I think sometimes we're too quick to say, oh, I've made a mistake. I got that wrong. You know, um, so much comes through the things that don't go right. So much learning mm. comes through that. And sometimes we'll get it. It'll be best for us the first time around. Other times it will take us 99 attempts, you know, but we get there and we only get there because we had those 99. Or ninety-eight before. I knew I would enjoy having you on the show, right? Because you're you're like this in real life, and you're very calming and life affirming, and a nice person to be around. But I think the thing that I have taken away from this conversation that I haven't fully understood when we've spoken previously is how, in going after your goals, in going after your dream, it doesn't have to be hard, aggressive, fast, or any of those things. It can be gentle, calm, and nice, which kind of goes against, you know, those viral videos of all the, you know, people achieving success and mm-hmm. that that kind of thing. And I, I, that really, for me, is the thing that is, I mean, every single conversation um, develops and blossoms in my brain over time, and I take lots of things mm-hmm. away from it. But in the first instance, I really feel like that's a real gift that you've given in this, actually, oh, is that you. it doesn't have to be... And I think sort of the backdrop of the fall in the film industry is an interesting one because you assume that it has to be aggressive and big and loud and brash and what, what have you, and it doesn't. Yeah, no, and and I th- and that's and I, 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 it's lovely to hear that you feel that way because I, I think I do believe there. I mean, there are certainly the people that I've got to know in this chapter of kind of working in film and, and such is 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 some of it's above the the independent stuff you know there are people that you sort of engage with that are working on bigger scales and things but the independent filmmakers who are making some wonderful stuff and they're, they're really supportive and there's no there's no jealousy or, or backbiting in that sense certainly not in the people that i've gravitated towards they're they're really supportive they're all kind of getting behind each other's projects uh you know with 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 Ferro, I, i'll never forget this we we were when 
I mean, we're fortunate. I mean, incredibly, we're not incredibly. I'm, I'm, <laughs> but you know, our little film that was made for like for peanuts compared to some other independent films that were nominated for British Independent Film Awards by a long way. You know, Stephen was up there, Shana was up there being nominated up against Michael Fassbender and you know Shia LaBeouf mm. and you know people like that and you know we're nominated you know alongside films like I Daniel Blake and American Honey and you know there there are all these people there and and we made this film like just through genuine kind of passion a lot of other filmmakers there are doing the same but I'll never forget that a film that had a similar sort of journey to ours at the same time went to similar festivals similar awards did made it the similar way was was Adult Life Skills by Rachel Tunnard with Jodie Whittaker it's a lovely film I love it and I'd recommend it to anyone. And I, I'll never forget, like, the cheers when their films came up for different awards. We were nominated for different things. Um, but the cheers from their table and the, for, for when our film came out and, the, and vice versa. And mm-hmm. I'll never forget that. Um, and, 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 and I do believe that there is – I mean, I, I'm, you know, sometimes it might seem optimistic or, 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 or you know, dreamlike, but – I think I've become more realistic as I've got older, but I still err on the side of positivity and optimism. And mm. I do generally believe that I don't believe people are born bad. I don't believe in that idea of a bad seed. You know, I, I believe that there are people who are born with a, a more natural tendency to be empath- empathic. Absolutely. Mm. But I think that nature and nurture plays a part. It's not just about one or the other. And I think that, and people do have a, a, an incredible capacity to change. And I think, given the right environment, given the right support, um, people can. And I've seen it firsthand. And you know, I've seen remarkable change in people. And you know, I think it would be sad to live in a world where we think that change isn't possible, um, and that we we as individuals don't have the ability to change. And I think naturally, at the moment, we're all being tested, and we're all finding something out about ourselves the people around us and and the universe um and and my sincere hope that comes out of this situation that we're all in at the moment is that when this is all over you know uh, when we get to a point where we have a new normal as we're hearing quite a lot and it will Mm be is that 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 we will be able to move forward in a different way in a way that is more supportive of others for those mm-hmm. that are more secure and safe and, and and stable at the moment we can all reach out to somebody else at this time and beyond that is l- less fortunate and is maybe more yeah. vulnerable and if, we, if we can all do that then we, we're going to cover all bases mm-hmm. and it will make a difference um, and that's my hope for this situation it really is because and I think we're seeing more of that than we are the negative but yeah the negative the negative sadly is 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 like a poison and it and it does find its way to the surface and it gets a lot of exposure but it's really important that we don't invite that in mm. you know that, that again we 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 make a choice as to what we invite into our lives we limit the negativity um doesn't mean we don't listen to it and acknowledge it but we don't have to i think we mentioned earlier we said i think the analogy was something like uh you know, if it comes knocking on the door, you know, you know, we, we don't have to invite it in for a cuppa. You know? <laughs> yeah. we, we can put the door locked or we can peer through the window or say, not today, thank you. And I think that's, <laughs> it's really important that we allow ourselves sometimes. There are times when it's okay for us to to say no to things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, there are times when it's important we say yes to those things as well. We can learn a lot from from from, from that, I think. Oh, Duncan, this has been so, so wonderful. I've loved having you on the show. Thank you. Like it's been lovely being on. I've learned, I've, it, yeah, such good vibes. Well, you always do. And one day we will get to go to Film Club again. But <laughs> I hope you appreciated getting to tap into Duncan's wisdom and also his story, which is incredible, doing what you wanted to do, set out to do, but on your terms in a way that makes you happy which is just so inspiring i think and obviously the links to duncan uh, my feral heart everything that we discussed will be in the show notes but duncan thank you so much for joining me thank you so much for having me it's been lovely thank you i really hope you enjoyed that conversation thank you so much for spending your time with us i think the thing i really took away from that chat was how it doesn't have to be that hard and fast pursuit of a dream it can be gentle it can be kind it can be calm um i think we've got this um idea in our head or we get projected this idea in in media everywhere that if you want to you want to follow your dream you've got to be all in and it's got to be at a hundred or you know pedal to the metal all the time and duncan i think is just a really good example of someone who's just very calmly methodically and gently gone towards what he wanted and achieved it and hasn't had to you know be saying all those big bright things that you hear people say on The Apprentice you know all those big sort of bold claims of I'm gonna do it you just have you don't have to be like that about it you can still be calm and still get where you want to be which I think is is the thing I really really came away from this conversation with um thank you so much for listening if you want to get in touch with me about this episode or any other why don't you email me them thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can slide into my dms on instagram and twitter where i am at emma guns i would love to hear from you if you want to chat about this episode with me and thousands of other listeners of this show then why don't you go to the facebook group the link to join us in the show notes which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode thank you so much for your time i really appreciate you spending it with me And I cannot wait, I cannot wait to see you on the next one. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.